The, um, I want to begin by saying that Christianity can be summarized in two words. Follow me. When Jesus called his men, he said, follow me. And Christianity began in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, with a personal relationship with the King, the Savior, the Lord himself. It's the only system in the world that to get into that kingdom, you have to know the king on a first-name basis. But that kingdom, that, that, that relationship in Israel spread over in the second missionary, first and second, third missionary journeys, which we're looking at now. But when you move into the West, when, when the Christianity moves West, it goes to Greece and becomes a philosophy, which you'll see this in Acts 17. They get to Acts and they start intellectually philosophizing about the resurrection and so on and so forth. But from relationship to philosophy, it moves over to Italy and it becomes an institution where the Roman Catholics set up a whole system that would invade the empire from the West. And from that institution, it goes to Europe and Christianity becomes a culture. And so the culture, the Christian culture. And so you have cultural wars. And so from relationships to philosophy to, to institutions to culture. And then it comes to America. And in America, it becomes an enterprise. Big business. Self-help. And we've gotten away from those two words, follow me. We're going to look in Acts 17 in a two-part uh, uh, sermon series but we're going to look at uh, what does it mean to persuade someone who doesn't know Jesus to follow him. So persuading the Greeks is this whole point in Acts 17. We're going to look at Paul. And I brought with me my old Bible because it fits Acts 17. And I've, uh, this is, I, I, I found some cow that was willing to sacrifice his hide. And so I made homemade leather Bible uh, but I glued it together, and I've got written in here that I was uh, reborn May 10th, 1972. And I was baptized uh, three years later on April 27, 1975. But what Jesus told those disciples to go into all the nations and spread that you can have new life in Christ if you follow me, that you wouldn't walk in darkness. And so that message went around until somebody came to my door at Ball State University at room 272. At, uh, it was in 19, uh, 1971. A guy named Paul, lanky guy from Indianapolis, band major. He said, hey, Jerry, uh, we're here to talk about Jesus Christ. want to know your opinion. And Paul began to share with me and I thought, uh-oh, it's them. It's the norm, you know, I thought they were normal people and then the religious people. And Paul knocked on my door and he said, we want to know what you think about Jesus. Let me tell you, I had no clue whatsoever. Because I'd only been in church five times up to that point. My roommate was from Chicago. He was Catholic. And uh, Roy was on the wrestling team. I was on the soccer team for Ball State. And as we, uh, we were just young kids... It was, that's another pot of coffee. But 
But there was another man named Stan, and Stan and Paul were with this group called the Navigators, and they were out to tell people about Christ. Well, Paul was Catholic, and I didn't know the difference between a Catholic and a Baptist and a Presbyterian or Methodist or two seed in the Spirit, baptized twice over. There were normal people and the religious people, and I didn't know I didn't know a single Christian before I was 19. Not a single one. People say, come to church. You've got a pack of pew night, so come and I'll get points from my pack of pew program. And, and I thought, but no one ever told me about Christ. Nobody. So I had no idea whatsoever. And then Stan come by and he asked me about what I thought. And I thought, well, you're supposed to talk to Roy. And so I heard uh, Paul's testimony, Stan's testimony. And then... Uh, uh, Roy became a Christian. I thought he was a Christian, a Catholic Christian, which is another pot of coffee. But, but I didn't know what religion was all about. And then a guy named uh, Jim Wilson came down. He says, Jesus saved me off of drugs. And I said, that's good, uh, John Wilson. I said, I'm, I'm glad you're off of drugs. I said, whatever gets you off of drugs, gets you off of drugs. And then came uh, Stan Ochesky. A Polish guy. He talked about the word of God. He said, the word of God is so good. And I thought, yeah, they're normal people. And then there's... I heard Stan's testimony. And then I heard uh, Bill Jones. And Bill was from West Virginia. And I don't know how many teeth are in the human head. But when he said Jesus, they all came out. (laughs) And he was so in love with Jesus. That's the only thing I knew about Bill. He... He loved Jesus. He really loved Jesus. And I never met people like this. They were kind of normal guys like on the floor. But then I heard Bill, and then there was another guy, um, uh, Stan Petsack, and then there was uh, uh, Jack Hildreth, who grew up in a church in, in, in Valparaiso, and he was a churchy guy, but he didn't know Christ. And so he said, I, I, I know what church is like, but I didn't know what Christ is until I came to know the Lord, and I got saved. And then after Jack came by, then there was, now you're getting the picture here. They would come knocking on the door, and they said, we can't find anybody to talk to. Let's go talk to Jerry. I was a guinea pig. They were using me to train how to talk to people. I didn't know that then. But, and then came a guy named John Jewel. And John said, uh, John and Paul, they said, we're here and I had seen the gospel three different times drawn out now. They were practicing on me. And I said, well, you have any questions? I said, no, I don't have any questions. He said, well, if you were to die tonight and Jesus were to say, would you go to heaven, what, what would you say to Jesus? I said, I never thought about talking to Jesus. But he shouldn't let me in. And I thought, why would he let me in? I wouldn't let a stranger into my house. Why would he let a stranger into his? I don't get it. I don't understand the spirit. I don't understand this relationship. I don't understand you guys at all. And I couldn't understand it because I didn't want to understand it. And then uh, Paul came back and that it took a year. It took one year for me to understand what the gospel was all about. And it was the fact that I didn't want to be religious I didn't want to have a life change. I, I was doing my thing. But the thing that caught my eye after about nine months, I, I'm a quick learner, was the fact that if Jesus is real, 
and he was offering a relationship, there was nothing in my life I could point to at all that says Jesus Christ was involved with me. And he would, if you ask Jesus, do you know Jerry? He would say, I made him, but I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And I would have been one of these men that would say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I wasn't saved. I wasn't born again. I didn't have any spiritual interest. I was dead and had no interest whatsoever. And I'm not all that unusual, for as you get into this chapter in Acts 17, you have Paul moving into dead spiritual territory where people don't know Christ, and he's there to tell them these two words, follow Christ. As we get into this story, I want to talk to you about Acts 17. And I'll leave you to read it only for the sake of time, but there's some wonderful nuggets in here. And I'm just going to scoot through, but, but I want to use this as the platform for our next Bible study series so that you understand, one, how to read the Bible. But two, I want you to see how God works in people's lives so that they can respond to know the Lord of the universe. And in this chapter, there are three men that you know somewhat. Paul, you know, apostle of the heart set free. We just went through Philippians. He knew that there was a joy in Christ. He had, he had gone through lots of experience because he too, he was a religious guy, but he came to have that relationship with Christ. Then there's this guy, his cohort, uh, Silas. Greek is Silas. Roman is Silvanus. You'll hear that. And, and, and Paul and Silas were beaten up and put in jail. Silas means faithful servant. He's a loyal man, and he was Paul's good friend. But Paul and Silas went on this second missionary journey, leaving Mark and Barnabas behind. But they picked up Timothy, and these three men went into a territory which now is known in that area called Albania, Bulgaria, Herzegovina, that area of the world. But as you get into uh, the study, you'll find this: these three men met three other people by name. It's mentioned because the Holy Spirit wants you to understand that he works individually as well as corporately. And these three men you may not ever thought about, but they're lessons that God wants us to learn through their stories as he wants you to tell your story that your life on earth has a significance, and it's not just enjoying the summer. It's to be a vessel that reflects this good God that you have come to know. In this case, it's Jason, which is the Greek word for Joshua, which is the, also the word for Jesus. Jason, a common name, Dionysius, the Arapagite. Know anything about him? Interesting. We'll learn about him a little bit. And Demarius, a woman. Now, it's interesting in Acts 17, you have Luke compiling this story, kind of like uh, with the Philippians, you've got the, the businesswoman Lydia, and you also have another person who's of some means, Jason, you'll learn about him. Uh, he was not a, a poor boy. He had some money. He had a house. He had uh, an ability to pay off the bond or the 
the payment or the bribe or whatever it was. But he was not just a, a, a low class. He was a middle class. He was a higher class, as was Dionysius, who's the Arapagite, who was a judge in the Athenian court. And in that hearing in Mars Hill, when Paul was talk about the gospel to the Greeks in a philosophical way, there was a woman among the crowd named Demarius. Now why she was among the crowd would mean that either she also was of an elevated uh, social position, but she was smart and she was able to hear as a Greek woman. And here's Luke giving us three different pictures of different people. Notice they're not drug addicts. Notice they're not in prison. Notice they're not third world countries. These are peers. And if there's any lesson that you've got to get out of this, is that the second missionary journey is to move to our friends and our neighbors, the people that are just like us and above, because in this missionary strategy, he was to reach people just like us as people. So we move into Acts 17. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they leave Philippi, and you'll see it on the map there. The Philippi, right in the middle, you scoot over that little hill, either one way around that little dark spot to Amphipolis, and then you move over to Thessalonica, and that's where we're going to go. But in Thessalonica, there were people like me who didn't know Christ, and there were people like uh, Jason and, and Demarius and... And, and the other guy, I forgot, Dionysus. But Paul would spend three weeks. He didn't stop along the way because this was a major route, an urban route uh, for Paul's ministry, Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is important because this is a land of battle. The Spartans, Alexandria, uh, there, there were... Uh, there was lots of conflict throughout these city-states, but Thessalonica is the second largest city, but is known for, uh, again, the Greek-Roman conflicts that went on there. And there's something about this Western mindset that we're going to look at. And then you'll find just to the uh, left of the screen, you'll see a, a different spelling for Berea, but it's right there on the left. And so Paul is moving into the Western Greek mindset. You're farther and farther away from Israel. And so I want you to understand that that's, uh, I can't read my notes here. So here's the thing, is that it's when you get into Scripture, and I heard this on the radio coming back in. I thought, this is important. You can take the important things and try to make it interesting, which is what I want to do today for you. But you can't take the interesting things and make it important. So you've got to focus on what God is doing in this chapter. What's the important word? Three men in three cities with three noble-minded believers. You've got Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. Today we're going to look at the first two. Next week we'll look at Athens. Because there's some things about Paul and Silas and Timothy, what they're doing to reach the people like me back then. But the Jews were, were foreigners. The Jews were expatriates. They were not in the majority because they were living abroad outside their home and they were considered 
as immigrants, and they were called the Hellenized Jewish people, meaning that they had, they had adopted, adapted their ways to the culture at hand. They tried to maintain the Jewish identity in a pluralistic society. And if you were to go over to Thessalonica today, you have the remnants of that marketplace. And, and in my mind, I just wondered, they walk into town and Paul and Silas didn't know where the temple was. And so they would ask around. Maybe it was there they met Jason. Maybe it was in the temple they met Jason. But this was a vibrant city. And you walk through the city of, of Thessalonica and you'll notice all these hills you get into the Berea, again, there's a different, there's, these are city-states where you had lots of interaction because there was, the only way you would get to know news was go to the marketplace or meet some traveler because most of the people back then didn't read. And the only way you would get to know things is by personal testimony. Somebody come and sharing with what's going on over in Ephesus or what's going on over in, in Corinth. But next week, we'll take a look at the big guy, Athens, the Acropolis. And so Paul is not, saying, Paul is not choosing little side. He's going right for the heart of the cultural influences. He's going right for the leaders. He's going for the places. And this is Mars Hill, right next to uh, the Acropolis, where Paul would go and speak. We'll look at that next week. But what Becky read this morning was what I want to hit at, at, at this point, to think with you what Jesus would do as he was moving through the Spirit and his men into Thessalonica. The parable of the soil has two lessons. The sower is important, the messenger is important, and the message is important. But the twofold, point, the twofold points are, you want to explain why certain people respond to the gospel in different ways. And certainly you see that in Philippians when they had a group of people, who Lydia and others, who believed in the gospel, and other people would have gone and throw them into, into jail. Why is it that certain people have different attitudes and, and, and they've got these agendas to either to go for or against Christ? But to explain why there are these different soils, different people respond differently to the gospel. And you have to know this to invite us to that your involvement with people that you know who don't know Christ, that your role to think about what kind of soil are you, to think about how God is using you as a messenger, which is another thing. But notice in, in Acts 17. So let me just read this first part. Acts 17, that when they had traveled through, through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. And there was a synagogue of the Jews, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, Acts 17, uh, <clears throat> Acts 17 uh, 2, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned, get this, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving them evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. Follow me. And they joined Paul, and they joined Silas. And so, as you hear this story, 
As you think about Paul, Paul starts with the gospel of the Messiah. We assume that if people, <clears throat> if they don't have the information, all you have to do is give them education and knowledge. And that if they have the right data, then they would respond, right? We tend to think that, that if we just use reasoning and logic, then the evidence itself would bear out their response, and they would come to understand and have faith. Given them giving them the evidence and then let them draw the verdict, like Josh McDowell would say. But it doesn't work that way. Because you can give people evidence and you know that people, once they have the right information, they still make the wrong choice. There's lots of studies on this. Why we can't think straight. Uh, why, why smart people make bad decisions. Because it's not about the information set, it's about this personal agenda. And so, uh, when you get into understanding what Paul and Silas did, it says, uh, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along, now notice this, verse 4, along with a large number of Greek-fearing, God-fearing Greeks, and a number of the leading women. You've got leading women. This is an unusual Western mindset if it's patriarchal, you've got women who are of influence like Lydia was. And Luke puts it in here. But it says, but the Jews, five, but the Jews became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them, Paul and Silas, Timothy out to the people, but when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men have upset the world. They've come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and, all, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. And then they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Interesting. When you have people who've got an agenda, and the agenda is to share about Christ, and another group has an agenda, we don't want to hear it. Things get political. Have you ever noticed that? That in our day and age, if you don't get your way, all of a sudden you fight politically. We fight about masks. We fight about vaccinations. We fight about uh, body cameras. We, in America, we fight about everything. And therefore, everything we do is an argument. And there is no discussion. There is no debate. There is no reasoning. There is just political, political fighting going on. Remember what I said the word progress meant? Progress means pro, forward, step. Grass means to step. Congress is to step with you break down the, the with, then you have against. And so there is no stepping with in, in, in uh, a lot of our discussions in politics. But for, but for Paul and Silas, they, they had a, a group of people who were open to hear what they were saying. Now what they said to uh, to these people in Thessalonica is much what Jesus had told the disciples. Do you remember 
this passage, and I say this so that you understand when you're working with people to have that mind of Christ. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me, he's doing the opposite and destroying the very thing that I'm trying to promote. Jesus understood that no man can serve two masters. You can't sit on the fence and try to compromise both sides. He says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And what he said to the Jewish people who were unbelievers, he says, you don't believe. Whoever, <clears throat> he says, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is you do not belong. That was me. I couldn't hear because I didn't belong. I didn't have that relationship. So you learn in the first thing about, about uh, Thessalonians is that facts do not win fights. You learn that information does not win fights. And you learn that truth does not win fights. Why? Because you're in an argument. And it's not about arguing. It's about connection, communication, understanding. When you're fighting, you're not trying to listen, listen, love, love. And therefore, as maybe it was Samuel Butler, but I remember this from long ago, a man convinced against his will remains of the same opinion still. You may get compliance while you're present, but as soon as you leave, He's back to his old ways. And therefore, <clears throat> you ask the question, as Paul would say, uh, you, have to, you have to present the gospel, but you have to understand why. You have to understand your own heart, your personal agenda. So the question to you today I want to ask you is to go back and think, as I did, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Why are you here? Why are you spending your time Sunday mornings here? What is it that motivates you? But I'm telling you, what motivated the first century Christians doesn't motivate American Christians. What motivated Paul was not his experience. It wasn't the blessings. It wasn't the good life. It was one thing only. Did you notice Paul didn't talk about his road to Damascus testimony? He didn't talk about the thorn in the flesh. He didn't talk about everything he knew. It wasn't about Paul. What motivated Paul was this one, this Jesus. God made his son the Messiah. It was about Christ. It was about Christ. To live as Christ. For Paul, it was all about Christ. But for us, it's all about what Christ can do for us. But not for Paul. He said, it's about Jesus Christ alone. And when you, met with, when you meet with Jesus face to face, you will see why. We don't see why now. Because we're too preoccupied with our own things. But Peter would pick this up. In your heart, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Well, <clears throat> why are you a Christian? There are three answers, three questions you have to answer. Is one, <clears throat> you, have to, you have to know who you believe. You have to know what you believe about him. And you have to know why you believe what you believe. 
You don't have to be intellectual. You don't have to be philosophical. You don't have to be theological. I certainly wasn't. But the one thing that Paul presented to me, Paul Smith, he said, Jerry, do you want to know him? And that was the question that caught me. I'd be open to any relationship. Why was I resisting God? I had no answer for that. If Christ wanted to love me and get to know me and wanted a relationship with me, why didn't I want that? I had no answer. Except I didn't want to be religious. But if he was offering this relationship to follow him, I, I had all kinds of questions. I didn't really know. But I wasn't alive then until I got saved. And therefore, I couldn't, I didn't have a worship of Christ. I didn't know who he was or what he did or why that would be important. So it took a year for me for the rocks and the birds and the soil to be prepared. But that's what Christ wanted me and just like in Thessalonians, there were a large number of people, Greeks, prominent men, Jason, quite a few prominent women who came to know that Christ wanted them to know him. Well, as we get into this, you realize that when you get political and you don't get your way, that the Jews wanted to protect their system, they weren't interested in following Christ. And so they were arguing all the way. Here's one, here's one thing I, I put together. I thought, as we go through this passage, you're going to find in, uh, you're going to find that there are people who are closed-minded and aren't open, and they're unwilling to be open. This was the jealous Jews at Thessalonica. And there were some Greeks there as well. There were people who were open I'm sure I'd be interested in hearing, but I am not willing to change. And Jesus said to Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to come to you and gather you, but you were unwilling. This isn't about information. It's not about what you know. It's about your agenda. I don't want to know. But there are people who are open and willing. And these were the Jews at Berea. They wanted to hear Paul about this Christ. They wanted to know about the faith. And so this group in Thessalonica who responded and the group in Berea, they listened to Paul and they were willing to follow. That's an interesting. There are Greeks who were closed and unwilling. Those were the seeds by the stone. There are the, those that were closed and willing. They, probably, they were willing, but the birds took them away. There are people who are open and willing, but they will not have any roots. But then there are those who really are responsive. I want to know Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want to worship Christ. I want to know who he is and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That mind of Christ I want, that's your inheritance, believer. But there is something about us that we want to see only what we want to see. And there's a confirmation bias. And once you are closed-minded and political, you will not hear the Spirit of God. You see this everywhere with sexual identity issues, fake news, self-fulfilling prophecy, the prejudice, the Israel-Palestine conflict, cultural assumptions. These are the attitudes about authority. And I'm just going to close with this. If you are in this argument, you are in a power play. 
And you won't be able to convince anything beyond an argument of saying, well, let's just agree to disagree. No, I'm not going to agree to disagree. I'm going to agree to share the gospel so that you have a basis for your understanding. Facts don't win, and truth and information don't change. It's the relationship with Christ that if you get to know him, he'll change your life. Oh, this one didn't come out, but this famous theologian philosopher, Paul Simon, said, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Ooh, la, 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 la. That's the, I won't go there. But anyway, when we get into this story, what you're going to find is there's a group of people. They're in the Thessalonica. And that book is going to open up. Why did they believe? Why did they join Paul and Silas? And as we open this chapter uh, the, in, in a couple of weeks, I want you to think, too, that Paul is, is part of the messenger that's sowing something. And as we get into these, I just want you to know, again, that facts don't win fights. Information doesn't win fights. Truth does not win fights. And a man convinced against his will remains of the same opinion still until the Holy Spirit comes in. And when he opens your eyes to see Christ, your opinion changes. Your will changes. You say, I want to, instead of I have to. And that's what these agendas, if you don't have that, you end up with some political things that say this, I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, I'm right and you're stupid. I'm right and you're evil. And therefore, we maintain this conflict. And that's what you will see as we go into Acts 17. All right, let me close with this. Matthew Henry writes, That which distinguished the good ground from the rest was, in one word, fruitfulness. He does not say that this good ground has no stones in it or no thorns, but there were none that prevailed to hinder its fruitfulness. Stones or thorns or birds or Conditions can be found in your experience, but they can be removed so that the good soil can be fruitful. Such obstructions do not finally prevent him from bearing good fruit. If this were true, I would not be saved. But because if people took time to cultivate the gospel, in my understanding, and the Spirit took time, it takes time. Jesus said, those who were slow to believe, that was me. People take time, and people are sacred ground. Therefore, despite sin, is your life bearing fruit? Well, with that, I just want to close by going back to our song. The only way you're going to bear fruit is to get those two words, follow me. And that's what we want to do. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, <laughs> your message redeems, restores, heals. You are the Savior. You are the King. You are everything we want. And we don't even see our own blindness, our own biases. And So unless you work, Father, we are lost without you. Oh God, may your Spirit have that willing heart, find that willing heart in us. So Father, we look to you. Thank you that next the next, uh, this summer, we're going to learn how you work in your people. Work in us, we pray. Increase our faith and our love for you. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen.